I have returned um, for episode two of the Carno Sore podcast. Um, I did say I was going to try and make it a weekly thing, but it's been almost two weeks since I did that first episode. And I also said I should try and get them out on a Thursday. And as I record this now, it's uh, Wednesday. So, you know, I'll try and get consistent at some, consistent at some point in my life. Um, I also still haven't invested in a proper microphone. Uh, last time I recorded it, it was uh, outside because I went for a stroll and I was recording it through my wireless headphones, which caused a bit of wind noise to break up the audio quality. Um, and also, ironically, uh, passing cars caused a lot of problems, which is funny when it's, this is supposed to be a podcast about cars. Um, I suppose I can't be too critical of myself because um, I don't know if anyone's been listening to the most recent episodes of yeah, the Collecting Cars podcast, Collecting Cars being the auction website co-owned by a certain Christopher Harris. Um, they've been making podcasts on and off for the last couple of years, then they went a bit quiet, but then they were back the last couple of weeks. And the last couple of episodes they had um, was a kind of a panel discussion. Chris Harris, your man Ed Lovett, the other guy involved in collecting cars, a couple of their rich mates who, I don't know, I'm sure I sh should know who they are. And then that guy Manish, whose surname, his surname eludes me, um, the guy who produced and wrote um, Senna and also just did the, uh, the documentary series Lucky about uh, Bernie Eccleston which is well worth a watch if you're a Formula 1 fan, um, although it is completely biased because it's it's from the horse's mouth. It's uh, The only person who features in it is Bernie. Um, but it's, 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 it's a good watch because Bernie's an interesting char character regardless and uh, the archive footage is brilliant. But I'm um, sorry, yes, getting off topic. Um, the, la the last couple of episodes they brought out and um, the panel show, they initially decided to call it Idle Chat. And um, well, if, if you're... You know, if you follow the motoring media like I do, a certain Johnny Smith, he of the Late, late Break Show and Smith and & Sniff, um, he has an interview video slash podcast series called Idle Chat, I-D-O-L. And the guys in Collecting Cars, they were, were they were calling their own Idle Chat as an I-D-L-E. And uh, yeah, Johnny Smith wasn't too pleased about that and he gave Chris Harris a ticking off. So they changed the name of their one to just Panel Show. I'm long-windedly trying to say the quality of the sound quality on those podcasts is inexcusably terrible. Um, Chris Harris works in the broadcasting world um, and none of the people involved are short of a few quid. Um, so there's no excuse for the absolute terrible quality um, of content that they released. Um, also, the, the panel discussion shows talk about people living in a bubble. Um, yeah. Not one I'd recommend. Um, I shouldn't be. I know I shouldn't criticise uh, too harshly, considering the content I put out. But anyway, those, those guys should know better. Um, although the most recent one, there was one actually released today, and it's with uh, Sam Kidson. Um, again, if you're if you're familiar with the motoring world, he's a very 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 high end car car dealer would be probably the wrong way to put him. Um, he's the person who brokered the deal for them that. Mercedes SLR that sold a few months back and now holds the record for the most expensive car ever sold. Um, that one's actually not the worst quality um, if you wanted to give that a listen. Um, although the volume between the three parties involved, Chris Harris, your man Edward Lovett and uh, Sam Kidson. Sam, Sam and Chris seem to be on the same wavelength, wavelength and then your man Ed Lovett comes in and the volume of his microphone is so loud your eardrums explode. 
Um, I've been rambling on about the Collecting Cars podcast. Why am I talking about another podcast when I'm recording a podcast? Um, but speaking of Chris Harris, um, since I last spoke to you, he sold his uh, his 992 um, 911 GT3 Touring through his own website, Collecting Cars. There must be there must be some sort of insider trading um, laws being broken there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand this shit. Not like I worked in a bank for seven years. I think I have some idea of the world of finance. Um, but anyway, yeah, he sold his 992 Touring. Um, he was running both a 991 and a 992 at the same time. And he couldn't decide which one he preferred. And he's now decided he prefers his 991. Um, so he sold his 992. It's a tough life for poor old Chris Harris. Um, and it's sold on collecting cars for £204,000. And last I checked, the list price for a 911 Touring is £135,000. Now, I don't know if any of them actually leave an OPC um, for that price. But, you know, if we take the figures as they're shown to us, it's like Chris Harris made himself a tasty 70,000 quid profit on his, uh, his 992 touring. Which, considering how god-awful the interior is, um, fair play to him. Uh, the person who, who bought it must have been colorblind because have a look it's it's if you go into the sold section and collecting cards you'll see it but the interior is it's blue, it's red leather seats with blue tartan inserts it's it's god awful uh, oh. and this 991 is, is a lovely car the yellow i'm not sure i can't, can't remember what the interior looks like but the 991 in general um is just a better looking car than the 992 but to be honest neither the 992 or the 991 um interests me in the slightest because like a lot of cars, um, the 911 peaked, I think, at the 997. And that era of cars, I think, is peak car. And I think we've just hit its peak and we've just been we've been going downhill. I know objectively cars technically are better, but subjectively, the stuff that pulls at your heartstrings, yeah, we're way past peak car. But that's that's a whole topic for a whole another another podcast. And um, what did I actually want to ramble on about? Um, motorway driving standards, which I know this is not a uh, a groundbreaking topic, but um, I do a lot of driving with my job, um, and I'm often on the road quite early. Um, we're talking pre six a.m. Where I'm specifically, I'm mostly going to talk about motorway driving here, and yeah, I'm on the road at six a.m. or beforehand. So I'm on the motorway sometimes and it's near as damn it empty. And every single morning without fail, someone, it's not the same person, but there will be someone who will join the join the motorway. There will be no one ahead of them and they just go all the way out to the far lane, which baffles me. I'm sure anyone listening to this knows you keep left unless you're overtaking. But then this happens and, and, and it infuriates me. And then like stuff like, like the other day I came up behind someone. I was in, I was in the very far lane because of course the, the next big problem is people just sitting in the middle lane. And I tend to drive, I, I, I drive at the speed limit plus 10% um, as I'm allowed to. Um, because I don't like going slowly. Um, but, you know, I'm not an asshole. I don't tailgate people. I don't cut people up. But the other, I, 
again, at least once, once a day, I'll come up behind someone trundling along in the outside lane doing like 93 kilometers an hour in a 100 kilometer zone on a, on a motorway. And yesterday, I was behind this guy for most of the goods of five minutes. And eventually, which is I know you're not supposed to do, but eventually I was like, I, I have to undertake this guy. So I undertook him. And the motherfucker, as soon as I undertook him, he started flashing his headlights at me. If I, if I was a lesser man, I would have brake checked him. Um, but then, I, I, I can't blame people for not understanding how to use motorways. Because you, there's no formal teaching as to how to drive on a motorway. You literally pass your test and until you pass your test, technically anyway, you're prohibited from using a motorway. So you, you pass the test and then they're like, go, go and drive at 100, 120 kilometers an hour. And you know, you, you're supposed to have read the rules of the road. There is a chapter in there somewhere about the motorway. And you know, if you remember, that's how it works. Just go, go. <sighs> And then I just have to bring up like the the way I don't know the barrier to entry is just too low. I was I was behind a guy this this morning in a Seda beat the two a two thousand seven silver Seda beat the Renrock cool in silver zero zero WW I won't give out the full reg but if you're listening you know who you are. Now this person they had their end plates up so admittedly I have to give them a little bit of a pinch of salt. They're relatively new to the game of motoring but. The end plates show that they had someone signed this person off that they have passed their driving test and are now fully capable of driving a car. I was behind this person and they they were constantly braking in a straight line because they couldn't maintain a constant speed. And then when they were coming up to junctions or roundabouts, they were standing on their brake pedal. It, it, it was just deplorable. But again, th this person recently must have passed their driving test. So someone who supposedly is qualified to sign off people to say they're safe to use the public road was recently sitting beside this person and presumably the person was driving in a, in a similar manner. Yet they were told, yep, here you go. Here's your, here's your full license and away you go. And that person now can use the motorways. So if they're breaking in a straight line in, in on, on lesser roads, surely they're doing the same thing on a motorway. And someone standing on their brakes on a motorway, when people are traveling at 100 plus kilometers an hour, that's eventually going to lead to horrible, horrible consequences. But as I was, as I was about to say, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't blame the, well, maybe I'm being a bit, a bit too generous to the people behind the wheel, but the barrier to entry to people who get driving licenses is just too low. I went to college with a girl and at the time she she had done her driving test nine times and she still hadn't passed. Yet, you know, with a provisional license now, technically she should have a full license driver, blah, blah, blah. But she's out driving and, and okay, okay, you can factor in nerves on the day of the test and stuff like that, but there has to be a point where, I don't know, if you don't get it by the third, the third try, you need, you need more teaching and more training. 
And then why isn't it like a tiered system? Okay, so you start off driving around suburban areas, towns and stuff, and then you do a test for that. And that's when you get your end plate. And then you have to go through some more formal training to learn how to use motorways. And then you do a second test to test your abilities of how you can drive on a motorway. And then you get your, your full license. I don't know. There needs to be some reform. I know it's rich for me to say I, I have my full driving license and I've had it for years so I don't have to be tested again. And I'm not saying I'm God's gift to, to motoring or anything like that, but I do at least understand how a car works and how the roads function. As, as I'm sure most people do. I'm not like, it's, it's certainly not the majority of people, but there are, are a lot of people out there who don't understand how the roads work. And someone is signing them off and allowing them to drive with the rest of us. And I don't know, it's like everything in this country, it needs a bit of reform. I'm gonna stop before I blow a head gasket. Um, and let's talk about some more lesser, um, lesser egregious uh, topics. And, oh, actually, before I move on to some, some motoring news, I did witness a cyclist get knocked off their bicycle by a motorist um, on Friday evening, just gone. Um, if anyone who's familiar with Dublin, um, along the Royal Canal, which is a terrible name for the girl. I don't know why it's called the Royal Canal. It should just be called the Canal. Queen and country. Um, we don't. We're not royal. We are a republic. Um, but, yeah, he, there was a queue of cars. It was around, I think it was about quarter past six in the evening. So it was dark at this point. At that time of evening, as anyone who's familiar with the canal, traffic does, you know, start to back up a bit. And... It was just before the Harrells Cross Bridge. Um, I was actually going to be soon turning in left into the junction where the incident occurred. So I was only a couple of cars back. And the the motorist had started turning into the, the junction that I was going to be turning into, into, into the estate just before the Harrells Cross Bridge. And obviously the motorist didn't wasn't looking at their mirrors, drifted into the cycle lane and the cyclist hit the side of the car and went down hard. Now, not taking any responsibility away from the motorist, the guy obviously didn't look in his mirrors and just turned into the cycle lane. But the cyclist was on an electric bike and a proper, proper high end. Because um, I did get out, I stopped and got out and I did try and assist as much as I could. Um, and I did notice that your man's bike had a Yamaha motor on it. So it was a, it was a proper high end electric bicycle and when he went by me I noticed I was like wow that guy's going at some lick so yes the motorist did hit him but the severity of the impact was because of the speed of the cyclist now the guy had lights again I'm not taking away responsibility from the motorist the motorist turned into the cyclist onto the cycle lane but yes it was the speed of the bike so here's another thing I think, you know, there's no legislation for electrical bicycles or, or electric scooters. And people are just going on these things and going at ridiculous speeds. And, you know, it's the motorist that's always going to be seen at fault. Yet there's no, there's no formal training and there's no legislation against using a powered vehicle um, that isn't a car on the roads. And they're everywhere now. But anyway, yeah, your man went down hard. Now, luckily, he was wearing a helmet um, because there was a scuff on his helmet. Um, he, he definitely broke his arm. Um, and he definitely had, I think, a fairly bruised up knee. 
Um, the impact was so hard that like the solid steel kickstand on his bike snapped off. Um, and he's wearing a pair of like, I don't know if they were prescription or not, but they were clear kind of, you know, cycling. So they were molded shaped glasses and they cracked and he there was a gash on his forehead from where the glasses hit his, hit his face. He, he, he went down hard. Unfortunately now I was the witness to it. So I've had to, had to give a guard a statement and everything. Um, so hopefully I won't have to be fucking drug into court as a witness to to take down one of my fellow motorists but no it, it was the motorist's fault all in but um yeah electric electric bicycles yeah there's another thing that you know i think legislation needs to be needs to be looked at but who am i who am i to say no one's going to listen to me because no one's listening to this podcast um that's a bit facetious facetious I know a couple of people listened to it last time because they did tell me they did and they said they thought it was pretty crap. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, guys. <laughs> um, but no, I am. I I use the three main modes of transport. Well, so it's four. I do use public transport occasionally. But I cycle, I walk, and obviously I drive. And my mantra is, you just have to assume everyone else is, a, is an idiot and you just got to keep your own eyes open. And, you know, hopefully... You won't get killed by someone else making mistakes, but unfortunately it happens. So let's stop rambling and talking about angry stuff. Let's talk about actual motoring news that's happened since I last spoke to you. Um, and a lot of the journalists uh, were finally allowed to talk about uh, the M3 touring. The embargo had been lifted. And yeah, that's all this consensus is. Yeah, it's it's the it's the exact same as the M3 and the M4 just has a bigger boot and look fastest day cars as we all know if you're going to have a fast coupe a saloon blah, and there's an is a, there's an estate option you should always go estate fast estates are just cool i know some people there's a small minority of people who don't think that's true but you're obviously wrong fast estate cars are cool but I don't know, the M3, the M3 generally, the, the M3, M4 current generation, again, it's one of those things, I know objectively it's probably a good car, but, you know, it's got an automatic gearbox, it's way too heavy, it's way, it's got way too much power for a road car, um, it's just unnecessary, and, you know, not an original thought here, but as we all know, it's ugly as sin. Um, so personally, if I had, if I was in the market for a fast estate car, um, I'd either go used. I know you shouldn't compare used to new, but like my one, a good friend of mine has a B7 RS4 Avant, um, and that's I would have that every day of the week over the M3 Touring. It's got less power. It's probably going to cause you more issues because it's getting kind of old now. Um, although my mate's one has been pretty, has been pretty loyal. He comes up, he comes up a nice one, and he's pretty good with maintenance. Um, he did spend a phenomenal amount of money getting the uh, the DRC replaced, which is the uh, I don't know what can't remember what DRC stands for. It's the it's the Magna Ride suspension essentially. Um, most people swap out those uh, for coilovers because they're notoriously unreliable. But fair play to them. Anyway, off topic. I suppose if you want, but if you must have a new a new estate car. And if you really must have a BMW as well, rather than getting the M3 Touring, just get a B5 Touring from Alpina. Um, it'll be the nicer car to drive, and it'll look better too. Uh, what other stuff happened? Um, Akio Toyota, um, the CEO of Toyota, is stepping down as CEO, which is quite sad. Um, he's been there for 14 years, 
he's obviously part of the Toyota family, which goes back to the, the origins of the company. Um, and what a CEO. Like, he he test drove all the cars. He, he, he considered himself the chief test driver. Uh, big into his motorsport, did, did some rallying the day. Um, he had a big hand in bringing the, the Lexus LFA to market. Um, it's he who pushed for uh, Gazoo Racing to become the in-house, uh, you know, tuning high-performance brand of Toyota. And we all know how successful that's been of late. GR Yaris and uh, GR86 and such. Um, so yeah, it'll be sad to see him step down because Toyota are on a fucking roll at the moment. Um, as I said previously, they're even all their just regular models I think look great. Um, and yeah, the performance models are brilliant, and they're they're killing it in motorsport. Um, you know, the World Endurance Championship, and obviously the the, the WRC, which I must get back to in a moment. Um, but the, but the good news is uh, the person filling his boots, whose name I can't remember, um, but he's another Japanese guy. But it, his whatever his name is, um, you can Google it. Yeah, uh, he is currently the head of GR. So if there's some man to take. The, the reins of the top job, I think the guy who's uh, spearheading GR for Toyota will be a good replacement for the legend that is Akio. Um, hope he, hopefully, he's, I think he's staying on the board, um, so he won't be entirely, um, he won't be entirely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Missed uh, a ghost from Toyota, so I'm sure he'll still have a say in what goes on. Um, but hats off to that man, he is done wonders for Toyota of late. What else happened? Um, oh yeah, Porsche released this design study concept, the Porsche Vision 357. Um, it's kind of a, a birthday present, homage, whatever, to the, the, the 356. The 356 is 75 years old this year. And uh, yeah, it's, there's no point in me trying to describe it. Um, it's just Google it, it's the Porsche Vision. 357 it's a design concept um look it's not going to it's not going to be put into production or anything so but you know some of the things on it might become design features on actual production models in the not too distant future so i don't know it's a strange looking thing um i don't know if i like it or not um but one of the cool things about it was i'm sure you might remember um, there, was a, there was a coffee table book released, I think was it last year or the year before, um, by Porsche of concepts and designs that they've released over the years. And one of the things they rolled out, which I'm not sure if it had been shown publicly before, but was a, uh, a reimagining of the VW, uh, the, the T1 VW van that they used to use back in the day for, for motorsport purposes, for carrying tools and sport vehicle essentially. Um, they did a, uh, a kind of a, a reimagining of that um, for the 21st century. It's a cool looking thing, central driving position and stuff. So they, they wheeled that back out again uh, alongside this Porsche Vision 357. Um, and it had a new feature, which it had a, it had a trailer on the back, um, which was designed by Porsche Design as well. And the cool thing about it was this Vision 357 thing has these funky kind of reimagining of the original 356 wheels um, for the modern era, you know, 20, 21 inch, whatever. But the trailer has the same wheels in it, but they're 17s. 
Um, so whatever about the port, the three five seven vision thing, have a look at that yourself. But the van and the trailer, that's I think where the real cool isness is. Sorry, I'm running out of words here. Um, yeah, so that's I think some cool. So what else is happening? Um, oh yeah, there's a Bonhams auction coming up in Paris. I think it's the fifth of February. Um, go and have a look at the list of uh, list of stuff. Um, there's a there's a very nice uh, B5 Audi RS4 Avant. Um, it's at no reserve. I think it's got ninety something thousand kilometers. It's a very tidy one. But they have an estimate on it for of fifty to seventy grand. Um, I'd be intrigued to see what that goes for. Um, but anyway, that's just a side note. Loads of loads of very interesting lots in it. Um, so it's worth going through the catalogue if you have a chance. Just Google Bonhams Paris auction. I'm sure it won't be too difficult to find. Um, but the, the one that stood out to me the most is there is a Jordan 191 Formula 1 car. Um, so if you're not familiar, which you should be, again, Google the Jordan 191 because it is... I'm gonna. I know all this stuff is subjective, but I'm gonna say it's unquestionably the best-looking Formula One car of all time. I know I'm Irish, so somewhat biased, but the actual shape of the of the car is brilliant. It's got this really like swooping um, front wing, and like the airbox kind of has a little kind of jut out that kind of slightly you know comes over the top of the driver's helmet, and then it's got this. It's got a green and blue seven up livery, and it's just—it's just—it's—it's it's so beautiful. I, I don't have a scale model of it because, well, as I'll get into the reason. Yeah, you know, so the one that's for sale in Bonhams. It's the—it's the exact chassis that Michael Schumacher made his Formula One debut in, uh, in Spa nineteen ninety one, and he stood in for. Uh, Bertrand Gasho, who unfortunately uh, was in prison because he CS gassed a London taxi driver, um, thinking it was okay to do, um, but CS gas is illegal and still is illegal um, in the UK and in Ireland, I believe. Um, you're, you were allowed to use it for self-defense purposes in France. He didn't realize it was illegal. He gassed a taxi driver and he got sentenced to two years in prison. Um, so Eddie Jordan needed himself a new uh, Formula One driver. And at the time, Michael Schumacher was driving for the Mercedes sports car team and Vili Weber, Michael Schumacher's uh, manager, uh, got into Eddie Jordan and said, hey, do you want to let our boy drive the car for you? Um, and Mercedes will give you a fucking few quid and uh, Eddie Jordan, not shy of always of accepting a few quid said uh, yeah and then he went to the meeting oh, oh you know we um we yeah uh, we're, we're we're firm believer in in young talent here in jordan f1 and um, i think if you, if you go onto the official videos he obviously knows he, he calls michael schumacher michael schumacher but in the very in, if you can find initial videos of this from spa 91 i think he initially calls him michael Sh michael he called michael schrodinger or michael Sh shoemaker he, he definitely says the name wrong anyway i'm, I'm completely getting off topic so yeah so not only is it the most beautiful formula one car ever it's the one that started michael schumacher's career it's fully functional um so it's a running formula one car with a v i'm oh, sorry it's a ford v8 i believe it's not a v10 it's v8 so it's not even like so there's a lot of 
old Formula One cars that are running, but they actually don't have the original engines in them. They, they usually use um, a Judd V10, which is a great engine in itself, but this is completely original with the Ford V8 engine in it. It's fully functional. It's Michael Schumacher's first Formula One car. It's the most beautiful Formula One car ever. And just to make the whole thing even better, it was, the, it was used in a demo run last, last year at Silverstone by Mick Schumacher, Michael's son. So, it's just, so the, the estimate for that car that they have down is 1.8 to 2 million euro, which I think is ridiculously low. I guarantee it's going to sell for a shitload more than that. Because um, considering as well, they, there's a Carrera GT up there with fucking delivery mileage on it, um, which someone's going to buy and never drive and just stick in a, in a garage. That car has the same estimate. Um, so to, to, to say that a Carrera GT, as good as a car as it is, um, is worth the same amount of money as one of the greatest Formula One cars with such an unbelievable story behind it and fully functional. Um, we'll go for the same money as a Carrera GT is laughable. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what it goes for. I'll be interested to see what that RS4 goes for. It'll be interesting to see what that Carrera GT goes for. And uh, hats off to whoever buys the, the, the 191. But to see what that goes for will be very interesting. Um, speaking of Formula 1 as well actually, um, if you're interested in Formula 1, now it might be fully booked out, but I'm going to this on, on Sunday. The Backpage uh, pub in Fillsborough, it's a bit of a hipster pub, but whatever, it's cool, they serve some nice beers. Um, they're having a Formula 1 table quiz um, on Sunday, so of the bank holiday weekend, um, this weekend coming up. February, is it the 5th, the 6th is the Monday, I think. Anyway, this the Sunday of this week of the bank holiday weekend. Um, I think there might still be spaces available, but have a look, give it a Google. Um, if you're interested in Formula 1, it could be a good night out. Me and, my one, me and one of my Formula 1 friends will be there, um, and hopefully we will uh, do well, because I'll be very sad if someone beats me, because I the only thing I really have is my Formula 1 knowledge, and not much else. Um, while we're talking motorsport, um, I should obviously correct, not correct, something I said last week. Obviously, I, I sung the praises of Seb Ogier and his win um, in the Monte Carlo Rally and how I felt he might be able to put an assault on to, to win his ninth WRC title to match uh, the great Sebastian Loeb for nine WRC championships. But um, what I didn't realize at the time, because like everything, as I said, it's very hard to get information about WRC. Um, but he's not actually doing a full campaign and um, he's only going to be doing a, a few select rallies um, which is unfortunate because it goes he did, really did go to show that he certainly still has what it takes to win um but hey each was only out he's, he's nothing left to prove and um, he's just doing it really i think for the fun of it at this point um but yeah i should probably just mention yeah he's not doing a full campaign um i thought he might have been but he isn't um not a whole lot other happening in the most world i think the daytona the 24 hours of was it Sebring or was it Daytona? There was an endurance race. Um, unfortunately, I didn't follow it too closely. Um, so I don't even know why I brought it up. Um, but one of the other main motorsport events that happened since I last spoke was the Race of Champions, which was in Sweden. One of the Nordic countries. It was snowing. It was icy. It was cold. Uh, lots of big names there. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, Sebastian Loeb, Hakkinen, Coulthard, Uh Terry Neuville, um, both the Solbergs, Dad and Junior, and um, many, many people. Mick Schumacher, Sebastian Bell, lots of people. Um, the Nations Cup was won by 
was won by Norway, so it was won by um, Saul Burke and his son. Um, they beat who were they against in the final? I think it might have been team was it team Germany. Um, but the, yeah, one of the most interesting ones was was the was the semi final heat between uh, Team GB, uh, which was David Coulthard and Jamie Chadwick, and Team Germany, which was Sebastian Vettel and Mick Schumacher. Um, both Vettel and Schumacher beat Coulthard, um, and Mick comfortably beat Jamie Chadwick. Um, Mick beat Coulthard comfortably as well. Um, so they'd already gotten through to the final round. Um, so when Vettel got up against Chadwick, they had nothing to lose. But Jamie Chadwick uh, beat Sebastian Vettel in that final heat, um, although it was somewhat meaningless. But the interesting thing about it was the next day for the individual, for the, for the race of champions, champions race, um, the first heat was going to be against um, Sebastian Vettel and Jamie Chadwick. And, uh, well, Vettel beat her. Um, but the one thing I think to know, uh, who won it outright? I think it was, it was Neuville. Um, oh, your man, Ekstrom. I can't remember the name. Remember name. Rally driver. Is it Thomas Ekstrom? Ekstrom? Anyway, he won, he won it. I think it's his, he's won it a couple of times. Possibly four or five times. But the, the, the standout for me was, was Mick Schumacher. Um, he did really well in the Nations Cup, beating people. And he did really, really well. He got all the way to the final. So it was between him and Ekstrom in the final. Um, and he did really well. And it, it was pretty close in the end. Um, but yeah, he, he took this, the silver medal. But I think, so it's, it's hard to say really where um, young L mix um, circuit, Formula 1 career, he's going to go. Obviously, you know, he's going to be reserve driver for Mercedes next year. Um, so he doesn't have a full-time drive. Hopefully he'll do some other stuff, um, maybe maybe Le Mans or some endurance racing or something. Um, and hopefully we'll see him back on the Formula 1 grid at some point. I think he deserves to be there. But one thing he proved um, is he's really, really good on uh, loose surfaces. Um, considering it's not something he's really ever done before, but he smoked some people at the Race of Champions. Um, he performed really, really well. So maybe possibly a career in rallying could be the answer for Mick Schumacher. Um, I'd love to see him in the WRC. It'd be great to see him be, you know, super, super, as successful as his dad was in Formula 1. It'd be cool to see him be as successful as that in WRC. Um, if Formula 1 is, isn't going to be a, an avenue for him. Um, yeah, but he did really well. Um, not to take away from, from the winner, Ekstrom, and, and all the other people who did very well. Um, but it was good to see Mick have a good day out. Um, okay, I'm, I'm really rambling quite a bit, um, so I'm going to have to start wrapping this up because how long have I been recording for? Let me check my time. Do, 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 do. Oh, 34 minutes. Okay, so not, not too bad. Um, so yeah, I'm going to keep a tradition up of the stuff I said I was going to do. So classified car of the week. Um, I think this is a great one. Um, it's another classic as it's uh, as last time out. Uh, last time out, I, I suggested a Dublin built and Dublin registered Morris Minor um, that needed a bit of restoration, um, but it was only 900 or so quid. But anyway, that's, that's last time out. This time, it's another classic small car. It's a 1972 Fiat 500 um, for sale in a dealership for 8950. Um, it's white, but it is absolutely immaculate um it's i can't remember the dealership's name i didn't write it down um it's a dealership in kerry if you look it up just just it's on done deal 90 obviously just put the year in 1972 fiat 500 it's going to come up 
Um, it's a Fiat 500L, which is not the equivalent of the modern 500L, which is an absolute monstrosity. And um, the 500L back in the old days um, of the two-cylinder little city car that we all know and love, um, L stand, just stood for a relatively high spec, as high spec as you could get a Fiat 500. Um, I think it just meant you got vinyl seats essentially, and uh, yeah, that, that's about it, really. But it's 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 immaculate. Um, it doesn't say whether it was restored or not, but um, it, it looks like it must have been because it, it looks almost factory fresh. Uh, Forty four thousand kilometers on it. It's NCT because it's a classic. It's NCT until December twenty twenty six. Um, oh, it's it's a thing of it's a thing of beauty. Um, I might even if it's still for sale in in a, in a couple of months, and um, which it might be because it's, you know these things for some reason seem to hang around. But I think 8950 in the current, I'm not sure how much V500s are going for at the moment, classic ones. Um, but to me, 8950 for an immaculate classic car, which has legendary status, seems like a, a good deal to me. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and considering what 8950 would buy in modern terms, I think I think the Fiat 500 would be a better option. Um, so have a look at that. Um, I also said I was going to... Uh, recommend YouTube channels to you um, that sometimes they'd be car related and sometimes they wouldn't be and um, this time out it's not going to be a car channel and um, but it's a channel called Kurzgesagt um, which you know um, I'll probably spell that out for you because you know I'll say it again Kurzgesagt yeah you're not going to know how to spell that and um, so it's K-U-R-Z-G sorry K for Kilo U for Uniform or for Romeo Z for Zulu G for Golf E for Echo S for Sierra, A for Alpha, G for Golf, T for Tango, Kurzgesagt, and the the, the the tagline is in a nutshell. Basically, there are these animated videos tend to run between ten and twelve minutes. They, they generally are science based, and um, but they do they do um, venture into the world of say like human nature, economics, um, history, and but they basically take these complex ideas and they drill them down into a nutshell for stupid people like myself and um, the animations are really good but it's completely fact-checked um, they put all the sources in the information it's all academic um, sourced information and it's all in the description of the video and they even put a little um, a little text in the corner to say where they got the information from and um, so that's worth checking out quotes because that in a nutshell um, and I also said I'd recommend a song to you if um, because you're probably listening to this on a mobile device, and I'm sure you probably have a, a music streaming service. Um, and this week it's going to be a song um, from indie rock band uh, Daughter. Um, they have an upcoming third album, and this is the first single they've released from it. And it's called "Be On Your Way." Um, it's brilliant. Um, they're an they're an incredibly talented band. Um, Elena Elena Torna, uh, the lead singer and lyricist, um, is is just epic. And Igor and Remy, um, her two partners in crime in the band, um, multi instrumentalists and producers. Um, yeah, it, it's great. Check that out. Um, so I'll stop rambling now. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, I will keep it going. And you know, any feedback is welcomed. Be be kind. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you again soon. Bye, you cunt.